Uh, so what I want to do, I just want to pray, and then we're just going to kind of dig in, and we want to first set the stage, and then we're going to go through questions, and then we'll do some Q&A also. Uh, Father, we come to you right now, and we just thank you for your grace. We thank you that, Father, we know that you are the one true God and that you are on your throne and that we are all like grasshoppers on this earth beneath you. Lord, you, are, you rule and your, your throne sits above all. Lord, there is nothing that can thwart your rule. You are holy in every way. And Lord, as we talk about politics and as we talk about it as, as believers, as members of your bride, of your church, of your body, um, give us wisdom today. May we be wise like serpents and innocent like doves in the way we engage in our culture for the sake of the gospel. Uh, bless this evening in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so a couple things we just wanted to say kind of as we begin, and we kind of want to start by just mentioning like what's at stake. And when we start talking about politics, we know everything is very, very divisive right now. And so we want to know, uh, first, we just want to say the, God's glory is at stake. The way we communicate, the way we demonstrate his worth, the unity of the church is at stake. Churches can be divided over the color of the carpet, the color of the chairs. Do we go with chairs? Do we go with pews? A million things. But one of the things that can certainly divide churches is politics when that becomes more important than the gospel so unity is important the mission of the church there is nothing more important than the advancement of the kingdom of god and so how does the way we engage in politics continue to advance the kingdom um and really heaven and hell by the way we engage with people um by the way we talk the words that we use if we're not careful, we will turn some people away, and they will never want to listen to us about anything else, certainly not the gospel. Um, and so we, we want to realize there is a, a weight to what we're looking at today. Uh, and one of the things that, that we'll probably say a couple times, and so our goal is, is we want to make sure that we're able to exegete the culture well, meaning we want to understand the culture. We want to understand what is happening in the culture, and we want to de-escalate the temperature. So when we engage, we want to understand what is happening, who are we talking with, and how do we lower the temperature down so we're not at a polarizing, divisive um, uh, situation. And so uh, we want to use one text tonight to just kind of govern the way we talk. I'm going to talk a little bit about it, and Chris is. Um, and so Romans 12, 9 through 20, 9 through 21, uh, talks about how we as the church love one another and how we as the church love those outside uh, the church. So first, I just want to read uh, 9 through 14, and then or 9 through 13, I'll just give a few truths that we're going to see that we're going to want to then apply to what we talk about tonight. So verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Um, so uh, just three things that we want to, uh, that we want to actually, Chris, can you pass out the handouts real quick yes. as I go over the go three things? Yep. I was going to do that right, before, right after the trivia, and then I, I blanked out on it. Um, so we had a few handouts just to have in case you want to keep notes there. Um, there. <laughs> we 
we go. But the three things that govern uh, from this text, and we could probably pull out more, is that, uh, that, that talk about how we relate to one another, is number one, the church is governed by love. We see let love be genuine. And of course, if we were to like look at different texts, like 1 Corinthians 13, we would see love is patient, love is kind, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not irritable, it's not resentful. It does not insist on its own way, which is really important when we think through politics and think through things that we might disagree on. Um, we also see that uh, the church is to be militant against division. And I use that uh, because when it says we're to abhor what is evil, we have been saved that we would be the bride of Christ, that we would be the means in which God uses to advance his mission here on earth. And, and in John chapter 17, he talks about the unity of the church and how it, it's used for proclaiming the gospel. And so we want to make sure when we gather, when we come together, we do everything we can to prevent division. In fact, uh, one guy I was reading, he said, when we come, we take our swords and we beat them into plowshares every time we gather. Like when we gather as a church, we make sure we're not bringing swords. We beat them into plowshares so that we, we're, we're coming to cultivate a relationship. Uh, and number uh, three, we're zealous for one another. It says we outdo one another in showing honor. Our goal is how do we serve each other? How do we meet one another's needs? And it's almost, you get this idea, it's almost like a game. It's almost like a competition. How do we serve? And, and we're all striving to serve each other more and more. And so when we come together and politics comes into a conversation where Christians are gathered, we're sitting here thinking, how do we hold unity together? How do I not insist on my own way? How do we hold together at this moment? So those are the uh, at least three truths that we can pull out of this text that we're applying to how do we talk about politics. And then Chris is going to do the next section. So that section uh, is working with how, yeah, how we in the church. And the second, the second part of that, verses uh, 14 through 21, actually deal with then how do we, how do we, how do we, what's our demeanor towards those outside the church, even those who are hostile towards us? Uh, what should be our demeanor? And I think this is, this is where it gets even, I think, even more challenging for us. This, in fact, as I read this, just think, this, this is why uh, it really does take a transformed life that has been transformed by the gospel to have this be a reality. So let me read this, and you'll, you'll catch on why. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, anybody feel a little bit of wiggling inside when you read texts like that in the Bible? That's some challenging stuff. There, a couple things I'll just say about that. Um, 
really, when you think about what that's saying, as, as Christians, we are willing to be wronged. Right? That's, in some ways, that's what that's saying. It says, it says bless those who persecute you. Um, in fact, it even says to feed those who are your enemies and give them something to drink if they're thirsty. Um, that, that's a difficult thing. So, so we're not supposed to curse them, but we're actually supposed to bless them. We're not supposed to be overcome by the very things that they have done to us. Uh, in fact, First Peter uh, 2 talks about we should not respond in kind. The way the world re- treats us, we're not supposed to respond in kind in the same way. There should be a different attitude that we have. Uh, secondly, uh, we're to strive for the peace, to, to be at peace with everyone. Notice what it says. It says that we should, as, as far as it depends on us, you can't, it takes two people, right, to be at peace. But he's saying, as, as far as it depends on us, let us not be the ones who foster hate and disunity, even with the world outside. Like, so the first part, what Nick was talking about, talked about the church, but now he's saying with everyone, anyone, including your enemies, we're supposed to do everything we can to be at peace with them. Um, so are we people that actually foster peace? Um, and then third, uh, in fact, you think about how much dissension and strife is going on in politics right now as we talk about this subject, right? It's, it's, it's crazy. And, and we're to be the ones who actually are, as we said earlier, de-escalating that, and we're to have a different attitude, a different demeanor than what we see. Um, lastly, um, the, uh, the church is to be generous to those who are hostile to us. Um, again, feed, feed those who are hungry. Feed our enemies. Um, and again, I, I think as we, as we wrestle with these things, I love how it says, uh, if you could add a fourth one, be, we're supposed to be humble. And why are we humble? It's because we have a God. We know that we are wretched sinners. We are poor, pitiful, wretched sinners. And we have the God of the universe who has placed his favor upon us, who's given us nothing but grace and mercy, not what we deserve, Right? So we should be those who are incredibly loving because Jesus didn't die for those who liked him. He died for his enemies in Romans 5. And so this verse challenges us. So that's why I say in order to actually live that out, I mean, that's a challenging text that we will work on the rest of our lives. But I think it takes, it, it's, if there's any evidence in your life and my life that we truly love Jesus, it will be when we are loving our enemies and doing good to them even as they are spitting in our face, Right? And that's evidence of a transformed life because uh, that's impossible for you and I to do on our own. It's hard for me to do because I want to repay evil for evil. <laughs> I, wanna, I get punched in the face. I want to punch somebody back. I don't know about you, but I, I want to do that. You know, just so I you just know, brought that up. You have that's not like, <laughs> said. You, it's been years. Like, well, years. For the longest time, every time it's Chris like, preached, somehow in his sermon he said he wanted to punch someone in the face. Every sermon, and so that became this like running joke. You haven't done that for so I long. I used an illustration, and it got used a couple it, it, times, it, it, and, and then, now it's like, so yeah. So I want to do that, but it takes the Spirit of God to, to resist, right? Kicking back or hitting back on our enemies. So, so uh, that, that's a, those are some principles I think really ought to guide us. In fact, that's all under the title of back in verse 9, let our love be genuine, both towards those in the church and let our love be genuine to those outside the church. Uh, because we of all people should be humble. We should be loving. We've, we've been shown grace upon grace. So, so that, when we, when we, truly, what we're saying is really we're citizens of a different kingdom. We're letting, we're letting our citizenship shine. We're letting the fact that we 
are now citizens of God's kingdom more than we're citizens of America or whatever country it could possibly be that we'd be a part of. And so Paul is saying, this is how we live as believers, as, as the people of God, uh, love as to what characterizes all of our relationships in and outside the church. Uh, but we know that's hard right now. And especially as soon as politics comes up, as soon as Trump or Biden or liberal or conservative or forward-thinking, backward-thinking, I mean, as soon as these terms start going through, being thrown around, you can feel the hair, like, standing up on the back of your neck, and everyone just kind of, you know, sits straight up, is like, do we say anything? Do we not say anything? And so what we want to do, basically, tonight is walk through a few questions um, that we think are helpful just to begin making sure we're thinking broadly and not narrowly. Now, this talk is not about how you should vote. That would be a way different talk. So if you're coming and, you know, expecting us to say, this is what it's like to, or we're now going to give you our position or who he's voting for or who I'm voting for or which party is more Christian. That's not what we're doing. But what we want to say is how do we engage with people who are often very politically uh, different and very divisive. And so how do we engage knowing that we're in a very hostile territory, especially when it comes to politics? So uh, the first question uh, sometimes you'll hear is, is that somebody will say that this candidate is God's man. And so, uh, like, Chris, you could probably easily be in a conversation with someone, and it turns politics, because right now, conversations easily turn to politics. You could be at, uh, just so you guys know, Chris also volunteers as a chaplain. He's often over at the fire department. A guy could turn and say, hey, do you think uh, Trump is God's man? Um, And oftentimes, as Christians, it's being um, communicated Hey, you must vote for Trump because he is God's man. How could we respond to that? Um, well, I would, never, I would never respond in the affirmative either way, no matter who they're talking about. But I would, I would respond by saying something like, oh, what, do you, what do you mean when you say God's man? What does that actually mean? Um, so I would respond by asking that question and let them actually flesh that out, which would lead to other questions like, um, well, why would you vote for that person, or uh, what, is, what is your reasoning behind that? So I would want to know how they define those terms, and just let them actually tell me more of that versus me sort of going, well, here's, here's what I think, or here's the, um, you know, here, here's the deal. Um, but yeah, what does a person mean by that? Because anybody you're talking to, again, uh, you made a comment earlier, I, wanna, I think fits this. It's called exegeting the culture. What that simply means is trying to understand where any individual you're talking to is actually coming from. Because you don't want to assume that what they mean by God's man is what I mean, what I understand to be God's man. Like, what do they mean by that? So that's why you always want to ask questions and flush that out. Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because, uh, you know, they, they may have a whole different understanding of that. So I would ask questions. I would flush it out. I would... I would press on that a little bit, get them to talk about that, which would probably lead to more questions and more conversation that would never actually, in my mind, I'll be honest, I would never actually get down to who they're actually voting for if I can avoid it. I would never get down to that. I just want them to talk about what matters to you. I want to know what matters to you, what's important to you. How do I, how do I understand where you're coming from? Uh, and we could, we could talk about the actual candidate at another moment, you know, but but I first want to know what's going on inside their thinking. Um, so, 
Yeah, and a couple questions like you could maybe even then follow up as it as the conversation goes is are do you believe Trump like and this is just using Trump because he has been a person that this has been said about. So um, are you asking, do I believe Trump loves God and seeks to advance the kingdom of God? Is that what you mean? So is he like David in the Old Testament, man after God's own heart? Is is that what you mean by God's man? Or do you mean Romans 13? that if Trump is elected president, that he is sovereignly placed there by God at this precise time as a means of bringing rule and governance to the United States, as Romans 13 talks about. Which I think at that point, we could say, well, no matter what ruler is in place, Romans 13 says that all rulers have been placed by God. So if that's what we mean by God's man, of course, like what Chris said, we won't know that without asking questions. And so yeah. we want to be real careful there because you can go through the Old Testament. Pharaoh was God's man, right? I mean, Pharaoh was used greatly by Nebuchadnezzar was God's man. There's lots of God's men out there. So what do we mean by that? Uh, because that's a very loaded question. Um, and you also, uh, you're also not trying to attach God to political parties and to political thing. Like, that's a very dangerous thing, right? I mean, other than to say in the general sense, Romans 13 or First First Peter 3 or, uh, you know, uh, Titus. I mean, there's several passages. These things are true regardless, no matter who's in the, the, the White House. Meaning right? that we pray for them and we That's right. Yes, yeah, so pray for our leaders. First Peter tells us to pray for our, to, to actually honor the, the emperor. Well, that was Nero who was burning Christians at the stake at that moment, right? So that's a pretty tough, serious thing. But I think we want to be careful that we don't, automatically with people attach God to political divisive like things like like even a candidate like attaching God to that person that can be a dangerous thing and that is something that happens right now is that often uh, religious views are attached to political views which the danger is so if I don't believe in your candidate does that mean I don't believe in your God and that's, that's where we get very, very tricky because we're attaching a, a party or a person to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and that can create a, a large division right then. Um, and as we flesh this out, we'll actually get to where are the lines? Like how do we, you know, like so if you're wondering like, well, what, you know, how do we actually distinguish? There are yeah, lines. We're, we're going to try gonna, to. We're going to get to that. But, yeah. Uh, because another We wanted to be really, I. You guys all know Chris is the nice guy. <laughs> I wanted to be. My wife was like, you need to make sure you're nice. and like you're. So she said I have to be like you and, and be nice, and, and oh, I can't be the divisive oh, guy. Oh, little does she know. <laughs> but here, another, another issue, and we're building up to a point here in a minute, is that another issue is uh, oftentimes people will say, someone will say, for instance, um, uh, should we actually be single-issue voters? Like you've, you've heard that, right? Everybody's heard that term, a single-issue Voter, which simply means that you're that that you vote based on one single issue that's so important that rises to the surface. And so, so someone, for instance, Nick might come to you and say, um, you know, don't you think that uh, that that we should look at the bigger picture? Like, isn't it important to not be a single issue voter? Like that, that's so important to you. Like, why, why, you know, why should that be the case? Yeah, and that's a that's a tough one. Um, I, I think. The more I've talked with people, what I've learned is that most people, when it comes down to it, there is an issue. 
um, that is a make it or break it for them. And so I think it's, it's a good question to come back and say, well, do you think that, that many people are single-issue voters based upon religion or experience or some type of cultural background that they may have? Um, because what, what I have found and what we've seen is that oftentimes most people, if not all, are a single-issue voter. There is something that they feel so close to their heart that if it goes one way or the other way, that, above anything else, will govern their, uh, the, the way that they vote. Uh, of course, one of those issues uh, often is abortion. And um, uh, Republicans will say they value life, and, that, and that's why they must be Republican. Uh, but many Democrats will say, well, I value life, but I don't believe that the person who sits in the political office will greatly change uh, the country's view on abortion. And so I, my point is, is there is, uh, sometimes we might have different single issues. And so if I say, well, abortion is one of those issues that I believe is so incredibly important because when we come to Psalm 139 and we see that God is the one who knits us together in the womb or that Genesis 1, we're made in God's image, we go, well, I want to do everything I can to protect that. There might be someone else, even on a Democratic party, who is often much more pro-choice, and they might say, well, I also agree that I want to protect life. But they might say, I don't believe that the person who sits in the Oval Office has the greatest effect on what is going to happen regarding abortion. And I then find that this other topic, which might be immigration or, or, another, or another topic there, is a more important issue at this time. Um, what I have found is, and in trying to be in a conversation with them, in fact, I was in a conversation with a guy earlier today who that was his position, is he was like, I'm 100% pro-life, but that's not what governs my decision. He's like, I, I more think that this other issue on immigration has a greater consequence um, by the person that we place in the Oval Office. Um, and that was an interesting conversation uh, because I think often what we will do, we'll say, well, if you're not pro-life, then, and if this isn't the one issue that, that you will come around, then you don't care about babies or, or we'll, we'll automatically go to an extreme. And what I'm finding is that the more I talk with people, many of them are saying, well, no, that's not at all how I feel. I just feel like that person is not going to make the biggest change whoever sits in the, in the Oval Office regarding this issue. Uh, in fact, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, even, um, like, uh, there's, a, there's a debate right now, will Roe will Ro v. Wade be overturned? Um, and so what, what's going to happen if Roe v. Wade gets overturned? What do you think? It'll go to the states, and then what's going to happen? The states will make their decision on what they'll do, kind of like marijuana right now. And, and certain states have legalized marijuana. Certain states have not. And so if you want to get marijuana for free, or not free, but if you want to go do it, or you can do it recreationally and it's legal, you can move to those states. You can go to those states. Um, now, that's just an argument that's being made, 
Now we can all say, well, is that a good argument or what weight is to it? But that is an argument that's being weighed on people saying, even if Roe v. Wade, that's not going to eliminate it. Um, so I, I think it's good when we wrestle through, because abortion is one of those, especially I think as Christians, we feel very closely. So we feel like if anyone's not going to center with us and rally the wagons, well, do, are they not pro-life? How can they not be? Um, and so it's good to find out, well, why are they not? Or what are they thinking? What is their position? Why would they then vote for another person that maybe has a different view other than pro-life? Well, I think it's, it's, it's really helpful for us, I think, in my mind anyway, when I talk to people a lot, and I think it's, we easily, I find anyway in our culture, we easily oversimplify issues, right? Issues are complex. Every issue, even the ones that, as a Christian, we feel absolutely certain this is wrong, right? Like, and we're going to get to that, like an abortion. But these are complex things. These are not simple things. Uh, immigration, all these kinds of things. These are, these are not simple. But we, but we have come to a place, for instance, in our country where because of the polarization, right, we push each other to the very extreme edges of these positions versus actually wrestling and thinking out, um, you know, actual thinking out each of the complexities of this. Like, for instance, if, if Roe v. You know, we don't typically think. We think if I overturn Roe v. Wade, which which I'm not saying that's not a worthy thing to do, uh, but I'm saying if we, but we oftentimes don't think through the whole picture. That doesn't solve all of our issues. And I think we sometimes get in our mind, if we could just get to this point, if we could just do this, then everything is perfect, right? Everything will be great. The reality is it's far more complex than what we know. It has way more facets to it. And so uh, one, of the, one of the principles uh, that you, as you're talking through those kinds of things with someone is help, help them see the complexity of it. But part of how you help people see the complexity of it is do you know both sides of the issue? Do you and I? When I'm talking with somebody, do I actually understand, if I disagree with somebody, um, do I understand their, the way they would articulate their position from their perspective? Um, part of the way you respect other people who you disagree with even very sharply is actually be able to articulate to them the position that they believe and articulate it accurately. Because you know that nothing makes you more ticked off when someone who's against you and actually opposing you on something actually articulates what you believe wrongly, right? Like, that's maddening to us. Like, when I'm going, that's not what I believe. You know, they, they sort of label you, oh, you're one of those, and you believe da-da-da-da-da, and you're like, that's, that's not at all what I mean by that, you know, right? And so I think it's important for us to, that's why I go back into our thing about asking questions and probing and understanding people to know why they are thinking this way. What do they mean by these things? Even by, what do they mean by, by you know, this issue when they talk about uh, being pro-choice or pro-life? Like, make sure we understand what that means and what, uh, what, what are all the intricate things. How would we actually articulate that back to them? So being aware and actually studying it and thinking it through to the point of knowing what they actually think the way they think it. Uh, that's a tough thing. That takes a little bit of time in a relationship, and it causes us not to be jerks, right? <laughs> we actually have to care about what they think, uh, about what, if somebody you might disagree with. So, so being careful to, not underst- to understand these things uh, are complex, and actually understanding the other side, um, which will actually make us uh, far more loving. One, one thing I thought we were talking about earlier is that um, we all have a tendency to live in a bubble, Right? I listen to news organizations that agree with my positions. 
I listen to podcasts that agree with me. I have friends who agree with me. Um, I make sure my family agrees with me. <laughs> hey, where, I mean, where's your family? If they want food. <laughs> Some of them are in there if they want food. But I mean, making sure, uh, you know, we, we, we live in a bubble. And one of the best things we can do is get outside that bubble and actually spend genuine time with people who are absolutely on the opposite end of the spectrum from us. Finding friends who we can sit with. Uh, I, I have someone I sit on my... I, I, I have a neighbor I sit with, and we sit with each other almost every week, and we are polar opposites, and we love to just hang out for about an hour and a half or so every week, and we sit on my porch and we talk. What about church and the government and Jesus? How can I be friends with Dave? How can you be friends with your neighbor? How can you be friends with your neighbor who's not a Christian? Who works at the bank? I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter, right? What I'm saying is, is, is uh, as Christians, right, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to love every person, period, right? Like, I'm supposed to be friends of sinners. Doesn't matter which sin, right? But I'm supposed to be a friend of sinners. Doesn't matter whether that's the challenge or this is the challenge. Same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. No. Yeah. We'll get into that actually in just a little bit. But that, that's like, no, I wouldn't because I wouldn't do something that goes against God's word. Well, and going back to like what we talked about earlier, just in the Romans 12, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Um, within the church, we want to make sure we're maintaining our relationships. But then remember even live peaceably with all. So we're, we're all going to be living uh, our neighbors. We, we, we can't control who our neighbors are, Right. Um, and we, we moved in uh, to our house in Michigan, and we had some neighbors there that uh, it was their drive to make us miserable, um, and that was their goal, and we, there was nothing we could do to make them happy, nothing we could do to love on them, uh, and so we did. We, we tried, and we tried, and we tried, but we, we all, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, there's going to be these people around us. And so the gospel says, well, we leave peaceably with them all. We still try to love them. And when they're rude, what do we do? We still try to come back at love with them. Uh, and, and when worldviews, social views, sexual views, all of those are coming into a clash, there is a clash. So how do we then show them the love and the grace of our King Jesus at that moment? Because when we come back and we look at the life of Jesus, who did he hang out with? Who did he love? Who were the disciples that he called? Who were the people that he healed? He often did much more miracles and much more grace was poured out upon the weak, the prostitutes, the lepers. I mean, those are the, the outcasts of society. So those who often were overlooked, and that's where he was coming to. And so we want to make sure that we continually demonstrate his love, that we continually demonstrate his grace to anyone that we clash in a worldview with. And, and part of that's because we know that, and this gets back to the faith and politics, that, that legislation and politicians do not change people's hearts and lives. They can uphold justice, which we should care about, but they can't change hearts and lives, right? Yeah. What changes hearts and lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. And, and I, I always ask the question of um, Jesus was accused by the religious people of his day 
of being a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I would say, how much, um, how much time do you have to spend with people who are absolutely opposite of you and don't agree with, with our faith to be accused of being their actual friend? Like Jesus spent at least enough time where he was accused of that. They, they actually said, this, this dude's hanging out with, like, which is funny categorization. In, in their day, it wouldn't have been, you know, we, we have certain people that we sort of deem as really bad. You know, there's bad people. Then there's really bad things in the world, right? Uh, back then, it was tax collectors, which we might say that today, too. I don't know. But, <laughs> but they had sinners. Like, there's the average, you know, run-of-the-mill sinner and tax collectors. Like, they're a whole other class all in themselves. I think that's always funny. But, uh, but the reality is Jesus was accused of being friends with the worst of the worst, tax collectors. And, and uh, so we're, we're to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to, um, no matter what. And I think uh, because our aim, our aim is that they would see in us the love of Christ, that they would see grace, that they would see us care for them. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to cross a line. And, you know, if you're talking about... Um, uh, gay marriage, and we could get to that. That I w- would I marry someone like n- no, I would not because I that would cross my theological convictions, right? But I would lovingly lead into that conversation, and they would know that I care about them long before we got to that, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and so uh, we have to be really gracious, I think, uh, in those things. And I think that's right. Yes. Yeah. And they might, and that's sometimes where relationships end too. Yeah. And we, we want to love on them as, as much as we can, but if the if the relationship is going to end, we'd rather them make that decision because it came to a theological purpose where we said well we wouldn't be able to marry there. So they understand where that boundary was. Um and sometimes that is what happens, and we just pray that the seeds that have been sown will continue to grow, and that God will work in there. And, and, and that's, what, that's what actually Romans 9, what the, my, my text said, that by so doing, you'll heap burning coals upon their head. We sometimes see that as like, yeah, we're going to let them have it. You know? What that means is we're going we're gonna to treat them so kindly, right? We're going to treat them so well. The burning coals is that it makes it really difficult for them to hate us, even when they disagree, Right? So live our lives and be so loving and gracious, even to those who are spitting in our face, telling us that we're horrible human beings. Love them so much that it makes it really hard for them to hate you. And, and I, I really believe, like, that is my aim in, in this town, like in the community, in all my relations. I, I, want, I want to be so loving and caring to my neighbor who I sit with that he may think I'm nuts for my positions on things, Right? And I think he does probably think that secretly. But, but, but he can't help but want to hang out with me. Right? What's not to love, right? I mean, no, I'm scared. But I'm, I'm, that's what I always joke with. My, so, yeah. <laughs> we're going to get back really, on track. But really, right? Do good to people. <laughs> and, and you'll make it hard on them to hate you. Even when they hate you, they can't. It's hard to hate you. Like, um, oftentimes we hear that there's Christian positions. And we can throw those kind of terms around. Um, and and uh, we need to be careful about those. And again, uh, one of the things we talked back on January 21st, we did our first Faith and Politics Night, um, and we spent more time talking about jagged line and straight line issues. Uh, so jagged line or straight line issues 
are those ones that we can clearly look at um, God's word, a biblical truth or biblical principle that comes direct application into our life today. Uh, so um, uh, an example of a straight line issue would be like Psalm 139. We clearly understand that God is the one who knits us together in our womb. We understand that every person is given value because God is the one who makes it or makes them. Therefore, we are pro-life. Therefore, we will always advocate for the life of the baby. So that is a straight line issue from God's <laughs> word to the application. Others could be um, uh, racism. We are 100% against racism. Again, going right back, uh, man and woman are made in the image of God. Therefore, we will always stand against any form of racism. Um, LGBTQ plus whatever else might be there. Um, we will always resist and stand against those, uh, that position uh, and, and acknowledging that in marriage because that directly goes against God's word on a man and a woman coming together. So those are straight line issues. Now, some people might argue even one of those might not be a straight line issues, but those are about as many straight line issues as you can come up with. Majority of everything in politics is what we would call a jagged line issue, which means um, you have a, a biblical truth or principle, but how does it get applied is much more fuzzy than like a straight line issue. And, and one of those could be... Uh, Oh, we talked about healthcare earlier, uh, yeah. or not healthcare, but immigration. Um, and like, if we go to the Bible, we see Hebrews chapter ten. It says, um, uh, "Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers." Or no. Deuteronomy ten nineteen, "Love the sojourner." Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So God's people is called to love aliens, love strangers, because you once were an alien and stranger. So, what does that mean? What is it, how do you go from that to policy? Do you see the problem? That's not a straight line issue. And in fact, uh, the way we talk about that, we could end up being on two different political parties or maybe three different political parties, depending upon what there is. Um, like no one's going to say, well, well, we'll characterize it. Um, both Republicans and Democrats, no one's against immigration. Although sometimes if you hear only one side, it sounds like the other side is, is probably against it or one way or the other. Um, but then it comes down to questions, well, how do we let people in? What is the method? How many do we let people in? How many, how many, did I say that right? How, how many do we let in? How many, I think I had the word there. How many do we let in? I think English, English language is tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's not my first. Um, but, you know, as soon as we start asking those questions, well, now we start landing on different categories, which the more questions we ask may end up being in a different party. And, again, one of the things Chris brought up earlier is we can't over, overly simplify. Uh, one of the things that has been... Uh, when Trump ran in 2016, I'm going to build a wall. Um, so the Democrats jumped on that. And what was their thing? Well, he doesn't want anyone to come in. No one's coming in. There's a wall in. To their credit, a wall, you know, does seem like an obstacle. It does feel like a barrier. It does seem like a keep out sign. 
Um, so the message that was being given was, from the Democratic view, was Republicans don't want to let anyone in, and they'll throw all immigrants out, and we want to let them in. And so again, that's an overly simplification, but that happens all the time, when actually it's much more complex. No, none of the Republicans are saying no one can come in, and the, and the Democrats aren't saying everyone without any restrictions at all, but often it gets placed in such categories that we're not able to understand one another because we've simplified them to either you're with me or you're against me. I think that's, uh, I think that's where we, we as Christians have to recognize the culture because the culture has polarized. The reality is um, seven, eight years ago, um, Republicans were saying and Democrats were saying the same thing about immigration, right? I mean, if you pay attention to some of those things, you can listen to what they were all saying, right? But all of a sudden, you see how quickly things become polarized and, and become to where it's pushed again. As I was saying earlier, it's pushed both, you know, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, it's pushed us to the very fringe of these issues to go like, we don't want any borders or we don't want anybody to come in. And, and that's how we begin to categorize these things. That's where we come in to go... Uh, we, we need to talk differently about these things. Like, we need to talk about them because we recognize uh, that we need to lower that temperature. We need to think differently about how we, how we talk about it and, and not join the polarization. Um, and I think that's true. I think that's true in a lot of things. I think the thing that is, is good about the jagged and straight line issues is that in the jagged line issues, uh, we should never divide as people over these kinds of things. Meaning the church? Yeah, the church. As Christians, we could be on either side of those lines, on immigration, health care, uh, you name it. I mean, you, you have, we'd all have different views about health care if we talked about them here. Uh, and if a person actually did believe in social medicine or, or, or believed in the opposite of that, that's not, that doesn't affect their faith in the sense of whether or not you're a believer in Christ, right? Right? You may disagree with whatever side of that you land on, but that does not affect whether or not a person is a Christian. And we have to keep that in mind, that, that the gospel is bigger than that. And so I think those are, those are some of the things that we have to uh, think about in terms of how we talk about uh, those things. And, and obviously, I think we live in a time where the media and everything in our culture, doesn't matter who it is, is, is seeking to, to high, you know, highlight the things that divide us versus the things that we all have in common. And, uh, and I think, uh, and we'll get to that in just a little bit, but I think... Um, uh, we are going to do questions here in just a moment, but I think the, uh, I was thinking about that when it comes to, um, what was the issue we were going to talk about over here? Um, oh, I had a thought in my head and not just left. That never happens, ever. I can't help you. I don't know where you're at. Ah, anyway, well, I had it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, nuts. There we go. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And so, what, so a, a so, good thing just like he kind of mentioned, the straight line issues are what we unite on. A straight line issue is something that really, if, if you disagreed on, you, you probably couldn't be a member of a church. Um, but jagged line issues, we could disagree on all day long. And you could easily, we'd have no problem bringing anyone in to, as a member of a church. And so, and, and even like, uh, even in some of the straight line things, like racism, if, it, it, it's, it's wrong Right. Biblically, it is absolutely wrong to judge a person based on their appearance, their skin color, even their creed and ideology, any of that stuff. Like That is absolutely a non-Christian, unbiblical way of looking at anybody. Right? We don't judge people according to that. People are made in the image of God. 
But now, there are, there are jagged line issues when it comes to that. Like, how do we deal with ra- the racism of the past? Those may be, we may have dis- differences yeah. on how we, how we actually deal with things that have happened in the past. That's different. But the subject, the core subject of racism is absolutely anti-Christian to be a racist, period. Like, there's no argument with that. Like, the Bible uh, would, would totally, uh, you know, be clear on those types of things. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not. No, I'm not saying. Uh, no, we're not. Not that we're not supposed to discern good and evil, right and wrong, uh, but we're not supposed to judge a person simply based on the color of their skin. Yeah, we see every person, no matter who they are, as made in the image of God with worth and dignity, no matter what. To judge someone in, in terms of racism is to think of them as inferior or superior, um, yeah. which we would yep. not even say of anyone who disagrees with us that they are less than us or, or better than us in, in certain ways because of a color or because of a sexual preference even or that. Um, yep. That's not how we judge people's worth because people's worth is tied into the fact that we are made in the image of God. That's what stands out. And that's why we love one another. And that's why we want to hold unity with those even and live at peace with them outside the church. Um, because we see that they're made in the image of God. And what they need more than anything, more than health care, more than you know, gun control and all the other you know, political things, is they need the gospel. So we're, all we're trying to say is, how do we keep positioning ourselves to understand them, to know them, to love them, to even, as Chris said, to be their friend so we can sh- share the gospel with them. And at some point, like uh, Susan has brought up, there might be things that cut off that relationship. And sometimes that happens. Um, but we want to always be, how do we give grace? How do we press on? Um, how about we just do uh, this, this yeah. last one, yeah. and then we'll do Q&A. Uh, how do we prioritize the gospel over politics? Um, I, I've, I hear it in here, in the church, um, I hear it outside the church with Christians, and oftentimes our political view is what governs the words that we say. And, and if that's what takes place, well, Chris, walk us through. If political view is what governs your words at the fire department, what's going to happen there with the relationships you have? Well, yeah, I mean, I... Uh and that'd be true anywhere in our community, but there's, yeah, there's every, every political position, right, in, in uh, my relationships in the community, you have all kinds of different things, so if, if, uh, if, if they saw me as my words actually were governed by my political position, then I have no, I have no actual relationship with them, and I've just cut off any care that I can give to them, uh, because I, I will just cut off the relationship, right, I mean, that's, it'd be over, if that's my lead. Uh, if, if that's what I'm trying to do, versus I want to display, I want to display the the the, uh, the values of God's kingdom, right? I want to display those things. Not so much there was opportunities to talk about those things, but those come as people ask. But I want to display those first and foremost, so that people uh, can see the kingdom of God in in me and how I behave and how I care for them. Uh, versus like what my political positions are, so I avoid every opportunity to ever get down to those, to the depths of a of a candidate or those kinds of things, uh, because I want first and foremost for the gospel to be there, and I don't want to. It's always we don't want to we don't want to uh, 
uh, I always say this, whether it's in ministry or anything, like once people stop listening to you, then what, what impact do you have? Right? So if my, my demeanor and the way I talk and what I talk about, if it cuts off the fact that people don't, don't, wanna, don't even want to be around me, well, then what, what impact am I ever going to have? So it, it definitely matters. And I would say this too, no one, no one has ever been won over to anything by arguing. Ever. I don't think ever. Maybe by actual arguing, right? Like if, if our, I think this is something we, we really have to wrestle with as Christians, is that we oftentimes want, when, when something is said by somebody that's outrageous, our, oftentimes our first response is to go, I need to correct them, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. I'm going to argue against their position, right? I'm going to try to show them that they're wrong. How many people and how many have you ever won over by doing that? Even if you, at the end of the day, you walk away going, I just obliterated that, dude. In fact, what do we see on Facebook these days, right? All these people saying, so-and-so just, just when I don't even know what the word is, like shredded this person, you know? You're sitting going... Yeah, and that Shred won over all like kinds 90s, of converts, maybe? right? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what the word, but it's like, they, you know, it's like, it, 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 that won over tons of people, right? No, it didn't win over anybody to, like, somehow tear somebody up in an argument. Like, that doesn't do any good, and as Christians, we ought not be like that. So, so here's an interesting thing, and we'll get to this in the questions, but I think, uh, I think we first, when we're talking to people, we, our goal is to state positively what we believe, Right? What we think about, like, so if, so if I'm having a conversation with somebody and I disagree with their position and I ask them lots of questions and we flesh that out, then I have an opportunity to go, man, that's an interesting thing. Um, is it okay if I share with you what I think, right, whatever it is? And then I'm able to state positive. I'm not trying to refute them. They've shared their worldview with me and I've actually listened to them, which the word listen ought to be in our minds all the time. We need to genuinely listen to people, like actually care what they think, because if we don't, we will have very little ministry to them. But when we listen to people, we actually understand where they're coming from, then we typically, they're usually respectful back, and they'll, be, they'll, they'll allow me to then also share with them, well, you know, here's what I think, and here's, here's why I wrestle with that, you know, and I can share that from a positive. So I'm not refuting them, I'm just sharing, like, hmm, here's the way I think about it. What do you, what do you think about that? You know, like, uh, whereas most of the time when we hear somebody say something wrong, we want to, like, go to war. Like, I think that's what our culture wants us to do. We want to be like, well, you're wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. And like, well, good job. Uh, now you have no friends. <laughs> you know, now you don't have an audience. Like, you don't, it doesn't matter. Like, you've done nothing. And when it comes to putting the kingdom of God first... Like, you're not going to get any chance to share the reality of the gospel with anybody if you're always trying to refute them. It's just not going to happen. Like, but if you love them and you ask questions and you share, well, here's my perspective and here's why I think that. You know, what do you think of that? You know, I haven't had very many people be like, well, that's stupid. You know, like, they're, they're usually willing to listen if I haven't been a jerk to them, even if they 100% disagree, like my neighbor. Um, we can usually have a pretty cordial conversation, even though I know he thinks my values are outdated and whacked out, you know, so. So we, we have a few things just that we'd say, when you're engaged with someone and you're in a conversation and it's political or whatever the hostile type conversation it might be, or just divisive topic that you're, you're kind of engaging, uh, first of all, just remember the mission. Um, you are a child of God. 
I think, first of all, just remember, you have been given the Spirit of God for the advancement of God's kingdom. So just remember who you are. So before you get sucked in to the arguing, wait a minute, how do I position myself for the sake of sharing the gospel? And so I think and what we've tried to do tonight and what I think Chris has reiterated many times is asking questions is one of the best things you can do. In fact, my, my wife is going through a book right now. Um, it's a little apologetic books, and she these three questions were the questions that, uh, that she gave. But what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? Have you considered? And that's a little bit about even what, what Chris is saying. So they, they've said something. You go, oh, well, what do you mean by that? We're exegeting. We're, we're understanding. And that's where we have to really listen. We don't need to be preparing our argument. That's what we often do, Right. Like, all right, he's talking. i got 30 seconds now to come up with some next way I'm going to destroy him. Um, but I'm actually listening. I'm trying to understand where he's emotional, where he's invested, what this person is thinking through this. And then go, well, how, how did you come up with that? Like, what, like were you just, is that what your parents thought? Or is this your upbringing? Or have you had an experience? Like, you want to, where does this come from? Why did they think this way? And then, oh, it's, it's really interesting. Hey, can I share a little bit of my view? And then you're, that's where you're saying, have you considered? And you're bringing out another view. Um, Jesus was a, awesome at asking questions, right? He always asked the question. He said, he said, I'll answer your question, but first tell me this, you know? And, you know, and, and, and if they didn't want to engage his question, then he didn't go on with the conversation. Did you notice that? Because if a person's not actually willing to engage with you in questions, then they're not really wanting to have a conversation. And why is it worth having the conversation, right? I mean, there, there is some wisdom that Jesus has in that. Because sometimes he's like, they said, well, we don't want to you, answer your question. He said, well, neither will I answer yours. And he went on. Uh, interesting. I think the other one is, uh, so uh, another principle would be, be not only ask questions, but be slow to speak. Again, listen really well. Um, I think that's a, that's a huge thing. Uh, be quick. To listen, slow to speak, as Scripture tells us. Um, be careful. Um, I think. I think it's the reason why it's better to understand people than to always try to fight to be understood. That's true in your marriage too, by the way. So there's marriage counseling tonight. Um, it's better to understand than to always be understood. We're usually fighting to be understood. If you just understood me, right? If you just knew me, then then we would. We this would be. You would. You would. It'd be fine, right? And the reality is we should both be in a marriage or in a relationship in our community. We should be fighting to understand the other person. You know, that's what we want to be doing. And, and the reason why that is is because oftentimes when a person holds a political position, there may be a, a reason for that that's very painful. There may be, there may be all kinds. Of, a person may hold a certain view of marriage, for instance. And I, I actually just had this conversation this last weekend a certain view of marriage. And the reason why is because they have had a nasty divorce and they have been burnt, this person um, in my family, two times. And, and so their view of marriage is, is horrible, right? And so they may talk very derogatory about it. So I might think, well, man, this person's, you know, uh, I, could, I could go, well, man, that, that's terrible the way you think about that, you know, if I didn't know this person, you know. And, but we, we have to understand because sometimes people hold the political views they have because because it's, they've, they've been hurt. They've been through cir- circumstances. We need to understand that in order to actually care for them, to know. Like, um, I, I remember even preaching a sermon years ago on abortion, and I, I was right on. I know I was, and I was totally accurate. I didn't say one thing wrong when it comes to abortion. 
And, uh, um, but I found out that there were several people sitting in my congregation who'd had abortions. And even though I didn't say something wrong, I didn't say it very compassionately. I didn't understand where they were coming from and the hurt and the pain that they've already been through. And I just heaped, even in my rightness, I heaped coals upon their head in a very negative way and just heaped more guilt and shame. And so we, we, need, to, we need to understand sometimes that a person may hold a position that we think is really out there, but why do they hold that position? There could be reasons that are very, very difficult and painful, something in their past you have no idea. And, uh, and so, um, so I think it's important for us to listen, to be slow to speak, and then to communicate. One of our points is to be communicate with humility. This is always true. I even love where Paul says in Peter, he says, uh, he always says, uh, uh, you know, even those, like, be ready to give an answer to those who ask you the reason for your hope. He says, do it with gentleness and respect. That was Peter, First uh, Peter 3. And then Paul even says, when he's talking about to Titus, he's telling him to confront you know, the person who's out of line in the church. He says, do it with gentleness and respect. So even when you're confronting someone, right, you're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect, right? And, and I think that's a, that's a huge thing. Uh, awesome. I Cora can love come it. up That's here. right. So, oh, so we should have humility. We should, we should treat people uh, with, with humility as we talk to them. And The last one is we, yep. want, we want to paint a better picture. And that's really what you do when you share the gospel. Or as Chris said, you know, we, we ask some questions and we say, have you considered, can I share my view? Think about it. In Acts chapter 17, Paul, Paul's in Athens. He's at the Areopagus. He's, uh, he's looked at all the gods and he's realized that there is the, the God, um, the unknown God. And what does Paul do? Does he go, you bunch of idiots. You guys have no idea. No, but he goes... He realizes, he says, you are so very religious. I'm religious too. Can I talk to you about my God? And all of a sudden, they're like, yes, we'd love to hear about that. So he looked and saw, hey, there is a commonality. And he used that as a means of sharing the gospel. Um, in fact, you, had a good, you want to share your yeah, story? My, I was with a youth pastor a week ago, uh, just, just north of here in Puyallup. And uh, he was telling me, he walked, he was, he has a business on the side. He trims trees, and he was doing a bid for a job. And, uh, and he just was talking to this lady, and they're looking at the trees and stuff. And, and somehow she said something, and so he just kind of mentioned something about God. I'm not even sure how he got into the conversation, but somehow it came up. And she immediately was like, look, if you're here to sell me on your God and stuff, she's like, I'm an atheist. I don't, want anything, I don't want anything to do with it. And so she was just like, closed door, leave me alone. Well, he saw one of those signs in her yard. It said Black Lives Matter, and it had the, all the lists, right? You've seen the sign. It has a, a list of all these different things, right? Uh, and, and he goes, uh, wow, I, I see that you value life. Because every one of those things on that sign talks about the value of life. I see, and she's like, well, well, yes, I do. And he said, well, that's interesting. So do I. I value life. And they had a pretty lengthy conversation in the yard about the value of life. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most of us would look at that sign if, if depending on where you're at, and you'd be like, well, I know what that means, right? But every one of those things, look at some of these signs around, right? We automatically just dismiss these things, but the reality is what that sign is screaming is all the, that life matters, right? When you say black lives matter, you're saying that life matters. That's something we have in common. 
So start there. See that as a positive, right? And try to find common ground. I thought that was just beautiful. He talked about how it was just, and he got the job. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's because of that. But that's that's a way that we can. And, and you're not you're not saying, I mean. We're not saying that that's what that organization is necessarily no. saying, but we're taking the truth that we can that is there, and we're using that as a means of making a connection. Absolutely, yep, and, and seeing what, what are the things we have in common, even if it's the tiniest thread. What are those things we have in common? And uh, that's why we're supposed to be, I mean, Paul says, be wise as serpents, and, or innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Like, we're supposed to be wise, like, uh, instead of just simply blasting all these things in our culture, like... S- Paul saw these things as an opportunity. Like, uh, um, I would even say uh, this, the, the things happening on the streets in America, we see those as really horrible things. But, but if you listen to what people are saying when they're yelling on the streets, what are they crying out for? They're crying out for salvation. Because they're asking, they're, they're, wanting, they're wanting a utopia world where there's no problems and no pain and no suffering. They want all the bad things taken away. They want this thing, they just don't, they're just, they're just looking for it in the wrong place. But they really want salvation. Like they want this, this world that looks like what they've fashioned in their mind. They just don't realize you can't have it through those means. You're not going to take it by force. It's not going to happen, right? There's only one way to have that kind of life. It's through Christ. And, but, but, that, but they're wanting something that we can even kind of connect with them on. So it's a stretch, but you can. Well, no, it is. And I mean, that's the whole idea of painting a better picture we want to take the opportunity to share the gospel, help them see we, we, we also want justice. We see that there's only real justice going to happen in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And so we want to try to make that connection. Because no matter if you're Republican or Democrat, both parties want what's right. We're going to disagree what's right. But both of them are advocating and fighting for this is just. And so what we're just trying to say is, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it's going to fail. So what we want to do is paint a better picture and lure them into the kingdom of God. So when we get done talking, they're not going, wow, Nick was a great Republican. Wow, Chris was a great Democrat. Sorry. We're like, we're like taking labels here right now. That's right. Um, we should but, have wore blue and red. That would have been. Oh, that would, you know, my wife asked me if I had a red, white, and blue shirt. I was like, nope. Uh, or a tie. Um, but, um, but what we want to do is not leave anyone with Republican or Democrat, but I like, I like the picture he gave, which was the kingdom. And that's what we want to leave people with. So how about we just take, um, if you have any questions, uh, maybe we answered them all, uh, or if I you have <laughs> I- I- any questions, we'd love just to take, just and it could be it whatever it is. Pot, uh, Raymond so. was supposed to be here, and just so you know, Raymond was going to, I said, man, serve up the biggest, hardest question to Chris, and then give me the easiest one. I'm glad he And then come. he ended up not being able to come, <laughs> so. Uh, right, hold on one second. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. That's. Yes. So one of the things that we were looking at there is Republicans, and I'm going to try to say, Republicans are looking at this. Uh, both, both, both parties are saying um, the way you vote is voting for the soul of America right now. You know, that, that they're terming it in this very, what's strange is like a religious term, but they're saying this is extremely important. Now, of course, every election year is the most important election year, right? But as we, as we continue, they do feel like they kind of gain in, in, uh, in, in their um, 
importance. Uh, what we were looking at, that one primarily, is uh, whatever view, if the other party is in the place, then the losing party is going to feel like America is going on a trajectory that is wrong. It's going to be unsafe for our children. It's going to wreak havoc on the stock market, our finances, our housing. All of these freedoms that we want, that either we want or we want to maintain, are going to be in jeopardy. And so what we want to just bring to the attention is, but what is the values that we value most? And is it, is it a Republican value or is it Democratic values? And we believe, like Chris and I were talking earlier, Safety is big. We want our families to be safe. We want, we want our kids to grow up in safe neighborhoods. Like, we want that. And we might say, well, Democrats are going to be the ones who do that, or Republicans are going to want to be the ones who do that. And if they don't, everything is going to go wrong. And what we just want to remind is, is that it's often in persecution. It's often when safety, when the things that we value are removed, that it seems like the gospel advances in great strides. We can go back all the way to um, Acts chapter 8, when persecution was the very means in which spread the church from Jerusalem so they would actually be obedient to Jesus and go into all the nations. So we all want safety, but God used the persecution. God removed the removal of their freedoms as a means of advancing the kingdom. The same yeah. thing we could look at, man, we look at uh, uh, many, many times a year here what's happening in India because we support 16 guys that are in India and they're all giving up freedoms because they're moving into villages where they're looked down upon. They're moving into villages where their kids are at risk. They're moving into villages. If you guys were here back in March, one, one of the guys was thrown out of their village, all of their stuff, their house was torn down and said never come back. And then just a few weeks ago, we had one of the guys was thrown out during, um, during a prayer meeting, and he was arrested. But they're choosing to remain in what we would say is hostile areas, unsafe areas, places which very poor rule and governance, not just at all. And yet, they're thriving in those areas, and the gospel is going forth. So we just want to make sure we don't idolize our candidate, our party, and values such as safety, our, our bank accounts. Now, again, we are not saying those are bad. We all have bank accounts. We have Roth, Roth IRAs, IRAs, all those kinds. Those things are all good. We're not against those, but we don't want to think that if we lose that or if the party goes away that we do not desire, yeah. that the mission is no longer going to happen. We want to just come back to the reminder that Whatever happens, God is moving all events to the return of his son, Jesus. And so he's yeah. positioning us for that. It, it's, uh, I would say, too, it, uh, two things on that would be, you know, in Daniel, I think it's Daniel 4, where, um, you know, the, the reality is says that, that God is the one who puts kings in place, and he's the one who removes kings. Um, and then in Romans 13, it says that there is no one who has authority, and talking about the king, in which God doesn't allow that person to have authority. Uh, and that, that stretches us, right? That's the reality. But the reality is, is that when we, if, if we feel like a certain candidate is going to be a better candidate and our, our candidate loses, we have to trust the sovereign work of God. And that's why we shouldn't be the ones who freak out at elections. 
when the whole world is going mad, we should be calm. Not because we don't care about it. That's, that's a mistake to go because we're calm, we don't care. No, no, no. But because we trust, we don't trust in horses and chariots, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We know that our God is working, and sometimes God puts, and we don't, not sometimes, God always puts the leader in there that, that, we, that we get for a reason. We don't even always understand it, but it's true. And so I think we have to go to that. But then we also have to go what, what Nick was saying. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, Your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to also realize that the answer to that prayer may be different than we want it to be. It may be the answer to that prayer is that things are going to get harder for us. And that's the means by which God actually purifies his church and pushes his church outside the walls to actually spread the gospel. Because honestly, where the gospel is spreading the most right now in the world, and this is true of all of history, not just right now, but right now, you just look around, where the, where's the gospel advancing so much? It's advancing in the most dangerous places of the world right now. So when we pray, your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven, God's answer to that might be to make it a lot harder on us. So let's keep praying it, but trusting that God's sovereign in that. I'm sorry, what? We haven't used the... Yeah. Well, governments are governments are non-Christian, right? I mean, the governments are not Christian, so yeah. So is that is that our question? I don't. What's the question? Are we? Oh, as if there are. Well, there's definitely evil things that happen in the world. There's there's people who are in place that are. Um, that are in authorities and positions who we would say, um, yeah, are, are doing very evil things. And yet, just like we see in the Old Testament, like Pharaoh, who was, you know, throwing the Hebrew babies into the Nile, God uses him to advance his purposes still. So even a guy, and Nebuchadnezzar is another one, even a guy who is directly trying to thwart the plans of God, is not able to thwart the plans of God. Or the cross. And, and so while we can see that there's evil, <laughs> the other truth that we see in Scripture is that God's sovereign over evil. And that gets to kind of a mystery of how that always works. But God is sovereign over evil so that he can still use evil to advance his purposes, which is why when Chris says, man, we can have peace, we can be calm, no matter who sits in the Oval Office, no matter what happens, even if everything goes to war, and not saying we want to go to war, and not saying that that's not going to make us all kind of freak out and figure out how to do, but even in that, we're still resting, and there is a God who's in control of all of it. Yeah, it, it causes us to have a sense of calm. I, th I think of the cross, you know, where, I mean, the enemy, always, the enemy always overplays his hand, right? So we know that's what he's doing right now. Like, the enemy always is more confident than he ought to be, right? This is what he did in the cross, right? Oh, we'll kill the Son of God. Like, we'll kill Jesus. We'll just get this guy out of here, right? And that was actually playing right into the hands of God. Like, God, I was like, okay, you know, like, this is the will of God, that, you, that he should be crushed and for our salvation, right? And so I think that it does give us a ton of confidence. Uh, so, yeah, a couple more, a couple more questions. Bill.
Yeah, well, I think I think the I think there's an uh, assumption. You want to repeat the question real quick? So yeah, so when it comes to a, a polarizing question like how can you vote for a candidate, for instance, when somebody says how can you vote for a candidate that that doesn't believe in climate change or does believe in climate change or however you, you know whichever issue it is, but that's certainly a sticky one. Um, I think it is. I think it is interesting. Um, all of us in America, period, on November third, right? Almost said fourth. On November 3rd, all of us are going to vote for, whoever you vote for, you're going to vote for somebody who has positions that you disagree with, right? Because if you agree with every single thing that every candidate agrees with, then I, I would question your, <laughs> I would question you, right? right? I mean, there, there's a wrestling that goes on in that. And, and so, again, it goes almost back, Bill, to that, um, that, that issue of going, uh, what, is, uh, what is the issue, like the single voter, you know, the, the single issue voting question to go, for different ones of us, different issues are going to be at the top of that that's going to draw the line in the sand for different ones of us, for different reasons. And so we're trying to find out why, why is that such a big issue to that person? You're trying to flesh that out. But the other thing is this, and we had talked about this earlier, is that we, um, it's different for me to say, it's different for me to say I believe I believe this is a really important issue and or I disagree with this position for instance like I could say I disagree with climate change but I'm still going to vote for this person because of a whole bunch of other stuff and so voting for someone who believes something different than what I like some positions that are different than what I believe is not the same as actually supporting that issue that makes sense like, like an issue that, that, whatever, you can put all kinds of issues in there. But just because I vote for somebody, because every one of us are going to vote for people that we disagree with to some degree in something. So voting for a person we disagree with an issue is not the same as supporting every issue that they believe in. Is that? But I think and it's tough. It gets sticky. And I think asking a couple questions there, like one of the ones, Chris, you kind of mentioned is... Um, why is climate, why do you believe climate change is so important? Like just kind of, because for one, again, yeah. we want to make sure, what does he mean by that for one? Because he might mean something very different than the way you initially hear it. Yeah. Um, so what does he mean by that? And maybe there's a, a few questions about that. And then ask him, you know, with the person that you're supporting, do you believe 100% with all of his positions? And then most likely, I can't imagine anyone saying yes to that. And then going, well, you know, I, I don't agree 100% with all of my candidate either. Um, and then just walking through. I guess we have to decide which issues are the ones that are more important to us. Or, or, or we want to be careful even with language like that. But um, I think a few questions. And that sometimes, I'll just tell you, it's hard to sometimes think about those on the spot. Yeah. So sometimes these conversations are going to be ones you have later. You're going to come back up and go, hey, you know you said this? Hey, now can I ask you a question about it? Because you're going to feel a little like deer in headlights in the beginning. And, but I do encourage you, don't avoid the subject. If the person's willing to engage with you uh, and you're not able to at that moment or you feel like you're going to be hostile or you feel like you're ill-prepared, 
take a few moments, come back to it, or a day, or whatever it is, but then bring it back up to them, but then think through a couple questions that you can ask. And That's it, good. And I think that does go against, too, like we have to be careful not to, I, we've, I've said this many times, where we don't, uh, we don't want to make people into their ideologies, right? A person that believes in something that I disagree with, I can easily go, oh, you're one of those. Again, I can be very dismissive and assume some things, but, but instead of seeing people as, you know, I ask questions and I actually probe into that stuff because I really care about them because they're made in the image of God. But sometimes when I find, I think we sometimes have that tension, we find somebody disagrees with us, we automatically can just put them in a, like especially on really touchy issues, oh, you're a horrible person and we can just dismiss you and not actually love that person. You, you, won't, you won't love people that you just think are the, you know, the worst. <laughs> like, you, know, you, you, you can't be dismissive of them. And so, yeah. But it's good to find out what they believe, why they believe it. Yeah, when, it, when I think that's why, that's why we're fighting hard to be really wise and find the common ground. Because we could easily go, well, I disagree with your, I, I disagree with global warming, for instance. Versus going, oh, so you care about the environment. Um, man, I really care about the environment, too. You know, why do you care about the environment? Why does it matter to you? Um, and why does that candidate seem to be the best representation of that? Well, here's why it matters to me. Here's what, here's what I, I, I also think the environment's important. Here's why, you know, and, and so we can find, the, I think that's where that finding that common ground. Otherwise, we're trying to diffuse that polarization. We may have some different views, but we're trying to go, man, there's, every one of the issues we've talked about tonight, honestly, on Democrats and Republicans, we all have the, there's, there's very similar things. We have more in common than we have that are not in reality, right? We do. We, but we've come to believe that we don't because we've made these things the way we talk about them so polarized. Well, and simple. And like, simple. Yeah, that's right. Like as if it's this or that. And yeah, I think to... It's not complex. Yeah. Just to go back, like, and when we just pick a position, if the person is for, you know, climate change or, yeah, is, is seeing global warming as a need that we need to address, are, the, are then, are, and, and they're so, we're not then trying to present a Republican view to that but as we then present, and after we've asked questions and we've found that common ground, we then want to say, you know, frankly, like, I, I also value it, but, I mean, I value it because I believe God actually created this earth. And, you know, but yeah. we, we bring in this and how it's beautiful and all the way that God has constructed it and how he's called us to steward it. Um, and we, we can leave them with that and not even, well, this is why I'm Republican or this is why I'm Democrat, but we leave them with, with this view. And maybe it's a higher view that almost transcends either other one. Um, but I think that's what we want to try to keep coming back to is how do we paint a better picture than what either party can do but what really only is going to happen because of the gospel. And humility allows us to actually uh, be okay with criticizing our own position. I think sometimes when, you, when somebody points out something about your position, you go, you know what, that is weak. You're right. I need to think that through. Uh, I think that's a good stance for us. I think sometimes we're so, we have to, we have to make sure that 
again, we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to show them the love of Christ. And sometimes, I don't know, I don't know about you, but even I, I joke about my neighbor, but like he said some things recently. I'm like, <laughs> I haven't thought about it from that angle. Like that's a really good point, and I haven't even thought about that. I need to go back and that's a weakness, you know, that in my thoughts. And so, yeah, I think we need to do Wait, that. We're going to yeah, pray, we're, we're and gonna... then we'd love for you to take a box of popcorn home or a cup of popcorn home. Um, yes. Or not. I will eat it all. Uh, popcorn is definitely a weakness of mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, can, right. I can do lots of popcorn. <laughs> uh, but, hey, we just thank you for coming. And, again, if anything, we just, I'd encourage you, look back over the Romans 12, 9 through 21, we just want our love to be genuine, and we want to make sure we're positioning ourselves to share the gospel. Um, we don't want people to hear, I'm Republican or I'm Democrat. We want them to hear kingdom of God and the gospel that that is. So um, uh, if you want to hang around afterwards, talk anymore, we'd love to do that. Uh, let me pray. Or Chris, I open you. You want sure. to close this? Sure. Father, uh, we thank you for this night. And God, um, this, these are really important issues and really um, really gospel issues uh, for us. And so we do pray, God, that you would season um, our, our words and our conversations uh, with salt, with, that, we would, that we would show and share the love of Christ with the people around us, um, that, God, you would uh, cause us to be those who are, are not freaking out about the state of things, not because we uh, don't care about them, but, God, because we trust you. And so help us, God, to be able to... Um, uh, share with people in such a way that opens up conversation and would help them to possibly see uh, the bigger picture of your kingdom, the bigger picture of what you're up to, and, uh, and may they see that in our lives uh, even more. And so, God, uh, thank you for this night. Thank you for our opportunity to talk about these things. And, Lord, we do uh, just pray for these upcoming elections. We pray for people that are um, living in, in, on the streets of places where there's lots of chaos in our country. And we do pray, God, that you would um, keep people safe, uh, but God, we also pray that you would help them to come to see uh, that salvation is only through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we pray this in your name. Amen.